Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. Hi, welcome to the Inside Alberta podcast. I'm Don Braid, columnist. I'm with Chris Varco, columnist. Both of us deal with politics and occasionally business and all that stuff. Uh, this is a week uh, we have the throne speech, the UCP's first throne speech. The throne speech is usually a pretty nothing event because it's all just a bunch of platitudes and uh, you know virtue signaling and promises and dreams and all that. This one was really different. This one is basically a very pragmatic document. Kenny likes to say he models this on the UK where the tradition is that you just say what you're going to do. So they outline all their bills. They, they've got some good stuff in there, but basically the lieutenant governor was out of there in like 10 minutes. It's six pages long, apparently about a third the length of a typical throne speech. But there was still a lot of, a lot of stuff in it, a lot of economic stuff, a lot of promises uh, uh, signaling bills are going to bring in the carbon tax bill repealed. Kenny dropped it like five minutes after after uh, Lieutenant Governor was finished. So what do you make of it, Chris? What do you think of that throne speech? Uh, I agree with you, Don, that it was very uh, pragmatic in the sense that there wasn't a lot of flowery language. It basically laid out what we should expect to see both in this spring session and later this fall. Getting rid of the carbon tax bill, one, that's, as you mentioned, is already going ahead. Changes on the labor front, cutting red tape. Um, you know, a lot of these things, in fact, virtually all of them were talked about during the election campaign. So there's no major surprises here. The timing, I guess, is really what we know. We're going to get a little more details. Mm-hmm. But what is very obvious to anybody taking a look at this on first blush is how much of this is focused towards the economy. Exactly. How much it is is to trying to get more jobs and more investment into the province. And that is a very laser beam-like focus for this government and upon which they will be judged. They sure will. And and the, the signals are not that good. Like, people are already... Uh, uh, there are people in Calgary, for instance, who were really expecting a quick symbol, a quick movement, a big sign of some big investment because all of a sudden Kenny is saying you're safe to come and invest, we're open for business, you don't have to worry about those other guys. Uh, and they're out there looking hard for big companies to come and make big moves to perhaps get into downtown Calgary, take, you know, 100,000 feet square feet of office space. Um, and, and they're looking hard for that and they hope to have those kind of things by the fall. But as time goes by, with the economic signals, which I hope you can talk about a bit, yep. not looking that strong, if we don't begin to start to see a recovery, there's going to be a lot of questions for Jason Kenney. It's just inevitable. Uh, how do you see it shaping up economically over the next five or six months, which are really crucial to them? Yeah, I think if there's one word, Don, I would use to describe the situation today in this province, it's fragile. Mm-hmm. 
the economy is growing, but it is growing at a very modest rate. So last year, I believe we had economic growth slightly over 2%. This year, the most recent ATB financial forecast came out and it cut the growth rate in half to 0.7%. I mean, it's better than being in a recession, Mm -hmm. but it's very little growth. And the factors behind that, of course, are a real drop in investment from the energy sector in part, which has ramifications for other things like employment, high unemployment still out there. Consumers are not spending as much money. The housing sector is not doing as well as I think people were hoping, the construction sector. There, there are a few bright spots. I don't want to sound all gloomy. Manufacturing uh, is doing okay. I think agriculture, if we can get some of the issues on canola and maybe the drought issues out of the way, I think it could have a decent year. But the bottom line is that the problem for the government is the same problem that the last government had. We need pipelines. Yeah. And everybody is, I think, in the energy industry is waiting to see what the federal government's going to do on the Trans Mountain do, do Pipeline think, decision. Do you think, well, that comes, I think it's going to come June 18th. Right. Given Trudeau's handling of that protester in Vancouver the other day, I think that it's extremely likely that they're going to approve the pipeline because if they delay it, I mean, it's a political mess for them no matter what they do, right? They, mm-hmm. They're worried about their two two bases, uh, you know, the economic and environmental. Uh, so do you think, though, that if they say yes on November 18th, and, or rather uh, um, June, June the 18th, 18th yep. and, and later on before the uh, uh, federal election campaign, we will see First Nations investment in that pipeline, I'm convinced. But will a June 18th trigger for the start of construction again? again, release some of these billions of dollars that are sitting around Calgary. I mean, literally, there's people in this town with that kind of money, and there are companies with lots of cash, too. Do you think they will start investing again? Tentatively, I think they will. So just to take one step back, we saw a report come out from Peters & Co., the investment banking firm, which said the cash flow levels are up more than 30% for the, the oil producers that it tracks since the start of the year. That's because crude oil prices have moved basically from $45 into the low $60 range up until today's dip. Mm-hmm. So there is decent cash flow levels being produced. These companies are profitable, but they're not going to spend money if they can't grow their production. They can't grow their production if they can't get pipeline takeaway capacity. And we can't get rid of curtailment. The government imposed restrictions on production unless we can get some sort of capacity, takeaway Mm -hmm. capacity. So I talked to a driller yesterday, a private driller, who said his customers are telling him they're prepared to drill wells, but they are waiting to see what happens on June the 18th. So I think Mm -hmm. if there's a positive decision there, I think that will change the psychology. Now, the question is, will investment come back? And that's the trick for Jason Kenney and his government is, can they take any of the psychological bounce Mm-hmm. from a positive Trans Mountain decision and translate that into actual investment in the back half of the year. And mm-hmm. that is still an unknown. I think we, we need to see a little more uh, positivity, if I can say it that way, before companies will start writing big checks. They want to they want to see the pipeline issues resolved. They want to see more news on curtailment. I think they would like to see uh, some more competitiveness issues being uh, discussed and maybe resolved on the federal level. Right. And meanwhile, what the, the government is going to be doing, uh, I'm persuaded from Kenny's a toughening uh, talk on re- on restraint, on spending and restraint, as they are going to be effectively cutting spending. And and there's been a lot of, during the election campaign, they were very, very canny. They know that the market for cutting spending, balancing budgets, not as big as it was in the Klein era, when everybody still remembered 20% interest rates and how terrifying debt could actually be. Right. Uh, so it's not like that anymore. So they kind of mask, you know, they talked about how they were going to keep hold the line on spending, but, but still maintain services, which is kind of an absurdity. But 
but I thought it was very clever the way they handle that. And now, um, now we've got both the new finance minister, Trevor Tate. Uh, Travis Tays, yeah. Say it for me. Thank you. <laughs> and, and Kenny himself talking more clearly about restraint, about a smaller civil service. He's not saying he'll lay people off, but he'll say, when I did this in Ottawa, you know, I did, I achieved 7% reductions with attrition in a couple of big departments. So that's what we're looking at. I, You know, I think we're looking at a summer of discontent, if you like, with some of the big unions, with the nurses, with the teachers and, and others. Uh, just like in the Klein era, you're going to see that kind of thing again. Do you think they can, where can they really go with that, though, without actually cutting spending in big departments like health and education? Not that I'm recommending it. Right. Can they actually achieve uh, a fiscal results that will lead them toward a balanced budget? I think they can in the short term. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, we've heard economists like Trevor Toombs saying that, yet, you know, if you constrain spending growth, and you know, if you keep things flat, you will balance the books. You know, within three yeah. or four years, there are some longer-term issues here, though. That the demographics in this province are getting older; that more people are going to need health care. So, in some ways, it's it's a bit of a mid to longer-term problem that the government's also going to have to address. Yeah. But I think you're right in the sense that um, it's easy to say we're not going to cut frontline services. But when healthcare makes up more than forty percent of your budget, yeah. and education and advanced education are also two big, large components of spending. You don't have many options on working in the rest of the in the rest of the budgets, right? I mean, you're really getting down to employment levels especially in when the civil service, especially when you're losing two percent or so to inflation every year. So you right. actually have an effective cut every year. So maintaining the same services when there is an effective cut uh, becomes extremely difficult. And the population continues to grow as well. So it's not yeah. like you're not going to have more kids lining up to get into schools in Edmonton and Calgary and other cities and communities. Well, you know, there's a but there's a very handy bogey out there, and that's the federal government. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's always useful when Alberta faces these kinds of problems that turn on Ottawa. Now, I happen to believe in this case, there are very good reasons for discontent with Ottawa. But the premier's, uh, you know, already talking about campaigning down in Ontario. Some people are calling that the worst thing ever that a premier would go and campaign against the prime minister. Who cares? Um, let him do it if he wants to. But but. You know, there's going to come a point where that federal election is resolved, and one way or the other, either the Conservatives win or the Liberal win, and Kenny's still got the same problem. He still has to produce those results. And he also has to deal with, I think, Don, the carbon and the climate issue. So he got rid of the carbon tax. That's going to wind down at the end of this month. Uh, that means that you should see, for a short period of time, lower gasoline prices if it gets pushed through to consumers. And obviously, that would mean lower uh, home heating bills if the federal government doesn't come over top with their national price of, on right. carbon, which they said they're going to do. But Don, I guess I'm wondering, where does this leave uh, Jason Kenney and his government in having an actual climate plan that will show a reduction in emissions in this province? And where does that put them, position them with the federal government on this issue? Well, first of all, he talks about going back to something that Stelmac brought in, right? Stelmac brought in, which was a tax on heavy emitters. Right. And that affects a large percentage of Alberta's emissions. And I think he's setting up a case where he's going to say to the courts, what, does it matter whether we have a carbon tax or we have something else? If we do something provincially that's every bit as good as the carbon tax, uh, why should we have to put up with this federal carbon tax? And he may actually have a point there because he can actually achieve with a proper plan of this kind some very significant emissions. And, and of course, now there's the Quebec argument as well because it appears that Quebec with cap and trade is paying much less per tonne than other provinces that have even the federal carbon tax. So... Uh, 
you know, I guess the real question, though, for so many people, and particularly for people who are coming up in this world and are younger people, they're very concerned and they want action. Right. Now, Kenny has got to be able – I think he has to be able to produce a carbon plan that shows real emission reductions, that can convince people that a province can actually do this, or he won't want a thing in the courts, and he, he'll, he'll eventually lose the demographics politically in this province. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. And Don, I, you know, everybody here knows the numbers. The numbers are pretty simple. Alberta has the highest emissions, yeah. right? We also have the fastest growing emissions uh, from an industrial sector coming from the oil sands. So, and, and we've also got production presumably going to continue to grow over the next several years. So how do we put together a legitimate climate plan that addresses these issues and that's what I think he's going to have to come up with between now and the fall. He said during his news conference uh, before the throne speech that, you know, well, look, we just got into power. Give us some time. You know, yeah. the Notley government took several months to come up with their climate plan. I expect we, we will see more from the government in the fall, but the details will be critical. You know, uh, maybe we conclude talking with this uh, very unusual meeting that Kenny has set up with Alberta senators. There's only one senator, Elaine McCoy from Calgary, who won't be there. Uh, all the other ones, I don't think that's for political reasons at all. Um, but the, the other senators, including those some like to call the liberals, but they're really technically independents, right. will be there. So everybody else, Scott Tannis, the ardent conservative, Doug Black, they're all going to be there at this meeting. And Kenny, I think, very shrewdly invited uh, opposition leader Rachel Notley to go to the meeting, which is going on even as we speak. So we don't know what actually happened. But he's trying to show and show Ottawa, you know, these symbols that we maybe don't think about that much are really important in Ottawa. Like for Ottawa to see that the it's not just Jason and Kenny, but it's the province that's united on Bill C-48, Bill C-69. It's important stuff. And taking Notley into this meeting, I think, probably encouraged some of the actual liberal senators like Grant Mitchell to to go and, and to, uh, we'll see if they come up with some kind of consensus on what they say to Ottawa. Uh, given that Grant Mitchell introduced Bill C-69, I'm not sure if he'd be part of anything <laughs> like that. But, but, you know, we've always got to remember about Kenny. He's extremely experienced and he's extremely skilled at interprovincial relations. And uh, he is his own interprovincial minister, and uh, he's going to be playing this game a lot right through the fall. Well, it's going to be a lot to watch on Bill C-69, Bill C-48. He's going to need to present that nonpartisan front coming out of Alberta, uh, and that's all going to play out here before the Parliament wraps up at the end of June. Absolutely, and we're actually getting very close to that big June 18 date. So we'll talk to you next week, folks. Thanks.